Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room. Uh, many more we know who are joining us online. It's good to worship God together. If you're in the room, by the way, uh, last Sunday we had no air conditioning, so today I think they're doubling up on it. Uh, <laughs> so sorry. Anyhow, uh, welcome. It's good to be together. Uh, as I look around, a bunch of you are visiting with, with us. I've met some of you before the service. Thank you. Goodness, we are so honored that you have come to worship with us. We hope you'll come back. Uh, if you're new or first time, uh, we have an attendance pad. It's actually for everybody. If you pass it, write your name down. But if you're new, leave us uh, an email address, text number, something, uh, so we could reach out to you and begin the process, hopefully, of befriending one another. We'd love to learn about you and your life and how we might be of support to you. My name's James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It's so good to be in worship with you all. This is such an exciting time of year as we celebrate third grade Bibles, but there's also a lot of other exciting things happening in the life of the church. One that we want to draw your attention to is the Mindfulness Monday Fall Series. Uh, that is kicking off, and we will have a guest speaker joining us, and that's just going to be a great skill to learn more, and uh, that'll help. we hope to help in your spirituality. But there are small groups and Sunday schools. There are so many opportunities for you to get further connected in the life of the church and to grow closer to God, um, which we hope that this time of worship today can be an opportunity for us to all grow closer to God.
Church, let us continue to join our voices as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which can be found in your hymnal on page 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is the point of the service where we have the opportunity to confess our sins together in the safety of our church community. Let us go to God. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. One of the things that I love about our church, about our church family, is that we do this every year. We give Bibles to third graders. Uh, and it's not just some rote, routine thing. It's a celebration. Uh, the kids are excited. You're excited, right, kids? Yes, yes. Parents are excited. You're excited, right, parents? All of you, you're all excited, right? <laughs> yes, thank good. It's an exciting thing. How good of God to give us some reading material, to give us a book so that we can know the heart and the mind of God, so we can understand our own lives and where the world is headed. Such a beautiful uh, thing. Uh, we're giving Bibles to 77 of our third graders today, not all at this service, so don't, don't panic over that. 
And uh, so at this time, let me ask our third graders if you would please come forward and kneel. Elijah Charles Emery Wakefield, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. When Andrew Poe, this is the word of God which is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Thomas Franklin Harmeling, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Will Havis, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. William Thomas Ripple, this is the word of God, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Anna Francis Ripple, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Eliza Gray Witter, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Alexander McKiernan Hieronymus, this is the word of God, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Pierce William Chance, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Gabriel Lewis Fleck, this word of God will be for you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Hunter Michael Sandy, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Peter Blackwood Stewart III, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Becca Cage Wiersing, this word of God will be for you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. James Moken, this will be for you, the lamp to your feet and a light unto your path. Hattie Cole Whitley, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Hadley Bennett Hobbs, this word of God will be for you, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Charlotte Diane Marie Corrado, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Thornwell Brian Taylor, this word of God will be for you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Hart Montgomery Taylor, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. William Kemper McIntosh, this is the word of God, a lamp to your feet and a light unto your path. Ridge Glover Reese, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. Ella Blake Wilson, this is the word of God, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Charlotte Gray Roseman, this is the word of God for you, a child of God. All right, children, stand and face uh, the people. All right, parents. Repeat, uh, parents, sorry, my mistake. Parents, in Christian love, you brought these children to be baptized. You accept the privilege and responsibility to bring them up in the faith by your teaching and example. As they learn to give reverent attendance upon the private family and public worship of God, will you renew your commitments to these children to guide them, converse in your home about the things of God, and grow together in discipleship? If so, say, 
we will, with God's help, the children always do better than the parents at this. All right, children, receive this Bible, read, learn its stories, ponder its words. This book shows us the heart of God and how to be God's church, for we are the people of God. So repeat with me now the words that are printed on the top of your Bible. We receive these Bibles with our hands. Yeah, you're so welcome. You are so welcome. And uh, congregation, you'll find printed in your bulletin some words. Let us join together. We rejoice in this step in your journey with God. We pray God will guide you, your family, and us as you use this Holy Bible in your home, in your church school classes, and in our worship. We will learn together and grow in our love for the Scriptures. Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for giving us uh, this book so that we might know your heart, so that we might be your people. Uh, bless these children and their Bibles. They may become great students of your word and people who truly live for you in their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, join me in congratulating these children. reading is Exodus chapter 14 beginning with the 21st verse. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their left and on their right. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariot, and chariot drivers at the, at the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked down at the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee. Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. When thank you for that uh, reading. It's hard for me, for me to think of any sound that is more beautiful than the sound of a child reading uh, from the Bible. Uh, this story. 
uh, the parting of the waters, the Israelites, they've been enslaved in bondage to Egypt for so long. Finally, it's their chance to go, but they're hemmed in against the water. Pharaoh's his chariots are bearing down behind them, and then miraculously the waters part, and they're able to go to freedom. It's the epicenter of the scriptures for the Jews, and for us it's close second. When Jesus has the Last Supper, he's not thinking, let's have the Last Supper. Instead, he's celebrating the Passover. He's celebrating that exit from Egypt when God set his people free. It's a beautiful thing. Freedom from bondage, you know, um, Americans, I'm just going to tell this other thing, by the way. Um, you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin suggested this parting of the waters be on the seal of the United States of America. It's not, but he wanted that. Taylor Branch wrote a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning account of the civil rights movement and called it Parting the Waters. And if you're on Facebook, I posted a little video this morning. I have a coffee mug that my children gave me many, many years ago. And it's a, it's a great mug. Uh, when, when I pull it out of the cabinet, it's got uh, Moses and the sea. But then when you pour the hot coffee into it, uh, the sea parts and the people are walking across. It's like a miracle. It's cooler, I would say, than the other cup my children gave me, <clears throat> which uh, <clears throat> when you pull it out of the cabinet, it's, uh, it's Vincent Van Gogh, but then you pour the hot coffee in and he loses his ear. Uh, this is the story of God setting uh, God's people free. And you, we Americans get confused about freedom, don't we? We talk about freedom all the time, but we think that freedom is, well, I do what I want to do. Like, that's freedom, I, I do as I wish. The Israelites never thought of freedom that way. They thought God is setting us free from the bondage in Egypt for God. God takes them you know, not, not to a resort where they can have fun for a while. God takes them to Mount Sinai where God shows them like how to love, how to love God, how to live together, how to make a difference in the world. It's such a beautiful thing, freedom. Freedom, it's for God. It's a life of commitment. It's a life of beauty. I read this week about uh, this, um, I think how to put it, this 17th century diarist named Samuel Pepys, the kind of guy you heard once in an English literature class and forgot about since then. Uh, Samuel Pepys uh, lived in London in uh, the, the 1600s, and he decided he wanted to go to a Jewish synagogue to see what Jewish life was like. So he went, and he was expecting sort of a somber, serious scripture study prayer and when he came in the room, the people were dancing and shouting and singing, and they had copies of the Torah, the scripture, and they were holding it up in the air, and it was just this big festive celebration. He thought, man, I've gotten the Jews wrong entirely. They're a fun bunch. What had happened is that he happened to have stumbled in on the Jewish festival day called Simchat Torah, and it is the day when Jews celebrate the gift, the wonder of the scriptures, the beauty, the delight in God's Word. I mean, the beauty and delight of just having a book is something that I think we take for granted. They're just everywhere. They're in Kindle readers and on, on the computer, and we're used to short little messages anyway. But the thing about Abraham Lincoln, you know, he grew up in an illiterate household, but he grabbed every book that he possibly could and would read into the wee hours of the night by candlelight. He just loved books. I think about people who uh, over many years have had to smuggle a Bible, right? Like it's illegal where they live to have a Bible, and they've smuggled a Bible into their home at risk of 
death. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And today we give Bibles to the third graders who, as they said to you, uh, they're duly excited. Bible's, the Bible's a tough book. It's a long book. It's a complicated book. It's, a, it, it, it's hard. It doesn't read like a Colleen Hoover uh, novel. Uh, but, I mean, how hard is it to understand? I, years ago, this is interesting, one of our lawyers uh, came to me. He was sitting in my office, and he said to me, Dr. Howell, I just cannot understand the Bible. And I said, dude, you're a lawyer. You're the guys who devise documents that nobody else can understand, so we'll have to hire another lawyer to read and understand it. What do you mean you can't understand the Bible? My grandparents, who only finished like the 10th grade, they read the Bible every day of their life. It was the great delight and guide of their life. Can we understand the Bible? It's a complicated book, but there's just so much in there. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it begins, of course, with creation. God created everything. God didn't have to create so much, right? God could have kind of been a minimalist, like every day they, they'll take this white pill and that'll be enough. But no, there's all kinds of food out there, things that are growing. God created all kinds of animals and creatures, and there's so much beauty and there's so much wonder. And we tend to get photogenic, right? We think you take a photo of a sunset and we say, ah, oh, this is God's handiwork. It's all God's handiwork, including the unphotogenic places. They're marvels. They're a little bug crawling on the ground. Watch those guys. They're absolutely amazing. God's creation. God made us. <laughs> and God made us really special. God said, I'm going to create you in my image. Like, you're that cool. And people made a mess of it. We always make a mess of it, don't we? But God doesn't say, nah, done with you. I shouldn't have created people. God, God keeps loving them. God keeps saying, you're created in my image. You're good. You're beautiful. You are a wonder. You, you still have a life in front of you that can be so wonderful. There, there are families in the Bible, and a lot of them are really dysfunctional. And that's good news, because if you live in a dysfunctional family, this is the book. <laughs> For you, you don't have to be Ozzie and Harriet. It turned out, right, that Ozzie and Harriet were a mess, too. It's always the way. Uh, the Bible has all these laws, and, and we, we tend to shudder over that. But, but what it says is God cares about what you do with your pots and pans and what you eat and how you prepare your food and what, you, what your ox does and how, how you measure things in business and how you treat other people. It's wonderful. God cares about all of it, everything in our existence. There's war in the Bible. There's war in our world. The Bible keeps its arms around everything. There are little children in the Bible, and there's some of the best stories. Little Samuel, he's a boy. He's about the age of these children, and God calls Samuel to do something amazing when he's just a child. I mean, I wonder if God might be calling one of these children, even today, to do something amazing for God. David, uh, David is really at his best when he's a little boy. When he's a little boy, he's faithful to God, and he's courageous, and he does great things. When he grows up, oh, downhill for him. He's a mess. His marriages are a disaster. His own children are grave disappointments to him. He struggles with them. That's cool that that's in the Bible. If you're a parent and you have struggles with any of your children, the Bible keeps its arms around you. You're not outside uh, that. There's so much in the Bible, Job, Job cries out to God, God, why, why am I suffering? Why aren't you answering me? If you've ever had that, you probably have. Like, 
that's in there too. The, the Psalms, beautiful songs of praise, showing us how to praise God. There, this is so interesting. The Bible's got it all. There is uh, <clears throat> romantic, intimate love poetry in the Bible. Like God thought of everything. <laughs> And so you have the Song of Solomon, and I, I, I commend this to guys, and nobody, nobody ever tells me they've followed up on this, but what I try to do, you know, it's Valentine's Day, our anniversary, and I want to kind of set a romantic tone, you know, I pull out the Bible, and I read to Lisa from the Song of Solomon. You know, it says, your hair is like a flock of goats on the mountains of Gilead. <clears throat> Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep come up from the washing. I don't know if it works or not, but I mean, it's, it's fun. All the same, God, God has prophets. This is so interesting. Like, God knew that if you give somebody too much power, they're just going to muck it up. Politicians, even the religious leaders. So God provides prophets, and they come and they call everybody to account. Nobody is above God's law. Everybody is accountable. Like, I love that. You know, the story that uh, God wanted us to know God, to love God, to be tender with God and one another. So God entered into Mary's womb and was born just as a little infant. How, how do you treat an infant? You, you have to be gentle. You, you coo. You love. It's gentle. God says that. I want you to love me like that. I want you to love one another like that. Jesus grows up, and he touches all the wrong people because he loves everybody. There's nobody that he's going to exclude. He doesn't have favorites, and uh, they, they get annoyed with him for doing this, and they kill him. But that's not the end. God raises him from the dead. It's such a wonderful thing so that we all have hope, don't we? Such a wonderful book, such a wonderful uh, story, so much. I'm reading a book, by the way, I'm, I'm not done with it yet, so I, don't, I can't report much on it, but it's, it's maybe the most important work of Bible scholarship to come out in a decade. It's by this guy named Christopher Watkin. And, and one of the things that he says in it, I love this story at the beginning, he says, the Bible narrative out-narrates all other narratives. You know how this is in your world. There, there are narratives, your political ideology. There's a narrative about here's how things came to be and here's what we need to do now. It's a narrative. And there are other narratives. You grow up in a home, you kind of learn a narrative about what has meaning, what should we be doing. Maybe you rebel against that and create your new narrative. He says the Bible out-narrates all the other narratives in that it's bigger. It can explain everything. It can keep his arms around all those other narratives and understand what, what's good in it and, and what's really mistaken in it. For instance, uh, good and evil. We have all these narratives in the world that divide good and evil, good and evil nations, good and evil people, good and evil political parties. But what the Bible does, the Bible just won't do that. What the Bible does is that there's a fault line between good and evil, and it goes through the heart of every one of us. And this gives us good cause to be what? Merciful to others, to find peace with others. It's a wonderful thing. Eli Wiesel, uh, I was reading him this week, what he had to say about this uh, parting the waters story. 
he asked uh, the question, who's the first person to step in, right? Who's the first? It wasn't Moses, right, because he's holding the staff up. And I think I probably always assumed that Moses held the staff up and the waters parted and people looked, it looks safe now, and they started going. But what Eli Wiesel says is that the rabbis taught that the waters didn't actually part until the people started stepping into it. Isn't that interesting, right? It's like they had to have some courage. They had to have some faith. They had to say, like, we're, we, we hope that God will do something to deliver us, and then God does that. Eli Wiesel asked, what's the name of the first person who stepped into the water? His name, according to Wiesel and the rabbis, was Nachshon, the son of Amenadav. Some of you here may not be done having children, and when you have children... These are a couple of names that you could use. I've never baptized a Nachshon or an Amenadav. It'd be great fun. Nachshon stepped into the water. I think about uh, Bibles. You know, like when we talk about the Bible, sometimes I look out at people and I'm talking about the Bible, people avert their gaze a little because, like, like you know you've got one, but it kind of gets under-read, doesn't it? You're like, oh, yeah, I ought to do that. I, I think the lesson from Nachshon is like, you know, put your toe in the water. The water's not going to part until you put you, you have some faith, you have some courage. Like, we're going to do this thing. And then the waters part, and there's a long walk to freedom. I've been thinking about that all, all week. These Israelites walk to freedom. And a lot of other walks to freedom. Nelson Mandela wrote an autobiography of his life, and he called it The Long Walk to Freedom. He had one indeed. He suffered under apartheid South Africa, and they put him in uh, jail at Robben Island for decades. Finally, they let him out, and then he became the leader of South Africa. That was a long walk to freedom. Now, think about those folks who walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, they, they began walking, and they, they know at the other side there's people who are going to beat them and harass them and gas them, but, but still they walk, they have courage. They want freedom. It's a long, hard walk to freedom. We have some folks from our church soon who are going to walk the Camino, you know, this uh, religious pilgrimage place in uh, Spain, some France, Portugal. It's a walk to freedom, like to a deeper spiritual experience. Jews, devout Jews, do you know this? They, they don't drive a car on the Sabbath. They, anywhere they go, they got to walk. There's some wonder in that. Like if you could only walk, like you might know your neighbors better. I mean, who knows? I've seen people walk out of a hospital when, when they went in the hospital, they weren't sure that they would make it. They're walking out of the hospital to freedom. Sometimes it's a cancer survivor, and they ring those bells, like, it's going to freedom now. I think about my mother. This is on my mind this week. The last walk wasn't much of a walk that I ever took with my mother. She could barely hobble around. I had to hold her and carry her most of the way. She wanted to go to the Rose Hill Cemetery in York, South Carolina to visit her parents. I took her and I drove right up next to the grave and we got out and she kind of hobbled her way and then she knelt down and began to talk to her mama. Her mama had died in 1952. Like 60-something years had passed without her mom and she's talking to her. Then, then she just lay flat down over her mother's grave and kept talking to her mama. 
few weeks later, uh, I took my mama's ashes to be buried there with her mama. And I thought, what she's doing now is she has begun her long walk to the great freedom that is eternity. I walked into college years ago, and then you walk across the stage when you're done. You're walking into the curious freedom of being among the educated people. You've got a degree. You learn. You can go make a difference in the world. We walked down an aisle. Lisa and I walked down this aisle to be married, and some of you did as well. And that was a walk to freedom. It's not a walk to an infringement of freedom. Oh, I'm married, now I'm going to be shackled. It's a new kind of freedom that is defined by commitment. We make a deep commitment to one another, and that is truly liberating. Although sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and I have seen people walk out of an abusive marriage from those shackles into the freedom of hopefully a new life. I've seen a lot of people that I know and love walk out of the closet, tired of being shamed, tired of pretending to be somebody that they aren't, into the freedom of who they are, who God made them to be. I think about the people that will walk into the homes we're building over at Plato Price Place. They're walking out of homelessness and and instability into the freedom that home ownership is such a beautiful thing. I think about Ukrainians. We, we met some of them when we went to Poland. Ukrainians who still live far from home, I think of the day when that war will end. They'll walk hopefully back across that border to home. Long walk to freedom. There's so many walks to freedom. The one I got fixated on this week was... Uh, the day that I walked into a church. I wasn't a church guy growing up, but I had some friends who kept nagging me and bugging me and inviting me and wouldn't let me go until I walked into the church. Thank God. Thank God Almighty. I finally walked into a church. It's been everything, not just my work, but being part of the body of Christ and the fellowship of people that are open to God and trying to be God's people. It's such a you walked into church today. I don't know why you did, but it's a walk to freedom. God's wanting us to be God's free children. You know, the, the last uh, book in the book <laughs> is the book of Revelation. It's got all that crazy symbolism, and it's hard to understand. But what that book is about, and it properly comes at the end of the book, is that God, the world's a mess, and there's just so much that you just, you see the news, and it just makes your head spin, but, but that's not the last word. God who made everything, who continues to love everything, will redeem everything. All that God made, we've made a mess of it, but God will redeem it. God looks at all of the people, and they've been lost and confused. God will redeem, and God will make everything beautiful and good, and in that day, we will be so very free, and it will be so lovely, and it won't be doing what we want to do. It'll be just praising God forever. It'll be so much joy and so much life and so much love. It's a wonderful thing. I thank God for this reading material that we have for this book that shows us the heart of God, how to be who God made us to be. It's a lovely thing. Thanks be to God.
let us be in an attitude of prayer. O holy God, this week we remember all those who lost their lives in the flood in Libya, the earthquake in Morocco, and in the war in Ukraine. We ask that you would bless those who survived and to heal their memories of trauma and devastation. We pray for the many who grieve the loss of family and friends in these travesties. Bring about consolation and comfort. Help us to surround them with our prayers for strength and courage. We ask your blessing on all those who lost their homes, their livelihood, their security, and perhaps even their hope. May they have the courage to face the long road of rebuilding their lives. Lord, in your mercy, O Christ, our example and Savior, we ask that you would make our community one that lives out your grace and mercy in meaningful ways. Today we pray for those among us who are struggling to live wisely and well, who seek a way of integrity for the future. We pray for those who are confronting addictions of all kinds, trying to change old habits that are harmful to their health and well-being. Give them persistence, patience, and may we surround them with our support and love. Lord, in your mercy, God of changed hearts, we pray for those who want to end violence and anger in their lives. Give them courage and wisdom to walk a new way. Renew us and thus our future as well. Lord, in your mercy. God of new beginnings, we pray for those who are seeking new work, learning new skills, or changing employment. Open new opportunities for them not only to earn a living, but also to contribute to the well-being of all. We pray for all who seek new ways to live out their faith in this church and in this community. Help each of us to communicate God's love in fresh ways so that others might catch the vision of your love for all people. Lord, in your mercy, Lord of compassion, we pray in silence now for all those we carry in our hearts before you even now. Loving God, we remember all those who grieve this day. And we especially lift up the family of Michelle knowing in their time of loss and grief. Lord, in your mercy. Now, spirit of transforming power, work in us and in all for whom we pray as we remember the words Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We have a wonderful children's ministry here at Myers Park. It's made possible by your tithes and offerings. The Bibles today you purchase for these children. They've already said thank you. I add my words of thanks. Thank you for all you do for the ministry of this church.
O Lord, bless our gifts so they touch lives in need and become roots of justice in the world for the sake of Jesus Christ, who sends us out in love and in whose name we pray. Amen. now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore.